Hey, welcome back to Loud Librarians, where we talk about, ponder, and discuss in detail all the library things. With this season taking you inside a devilish, alluring, and seductive world of copyright, I'm your host, Amber. And I'm Hannah. Hey, Hannah. In this episode, we will be discussing copyright and the archives. Now, for those of you who don't work in a library or museum-like setting, an archive is a collection of historical records or materials in any medium and the physical or digital space in which they are located. But before I embarrass myself like I usually do any further with complicated definitions, let's introduce our first guest for today. First, there's only one. (laughs) (laughs) First and only. Yeah. Let's do it, Amber. Our guest today is the Archives and Special Collections Librarian here at the Fordham University Libraries. In addition to having a master's degree in library and information science from Buffalo University, and of course, upholding the archival prestige and academic integrity of our fine library, she also likes playing bug chess and volleyball. So without further ado, Gabriella DiMeglio, welcome to the pod. Welcome, Gab. Welcome. Um, so, okay, so Gab, we do this thing on the pod where we ask each other a lot of like ridiculous questions. So if today you were a book, what would the title of your book be? I think today I would be titled Slow Motion. I think it's also the title of my memoir. <laughs> and the title of a juvenile song or whenever we did it. What? Also, yeah, Trey Songs. <laughs> yeah, I think a Trey Songs song too. Oh, okay, not that we will play any of them right yeah, now. We can't play that copyright <laughs> podcast. Yeah, the Tiny Desk. I saw that. Oh, yeah, that was really good. It was really good. That was really good. Yeah. Um, what about you? Andy? I I think mine for today would be not that this is you know extraordinary about today, but just something on my mind since I just had lunch would be tiny salty fish. <laughs> And again, that could be my memoir, since that's many days. Many that's days like are a blur of fishy lunches. Fish of cans. Of cans. And, yeah. What about you, Amber? <laughs> uh, mine is going to be, and I tried, an autobiography. Love that. That's pretty good. Is yeah. there, like, an exclamation? Um, no, more, another period. Another period. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the periods are a very good idea. Yes. Yeah. A title and then... A period in the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> That's good. It's very um, assertive. Mm-hmm. To the point. To the point. Literally to the point. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's yeah. good. These are some These are some good titles, everyone. And our, our, our collection develops further. <laughs> anyway, enough of this mumbo jumbo. Um, so, Gab. We are so excited to have you here today. And like we mentioned, you are the Archives and Special Collections Librarian. So how did you get into this position? Uh, What initially piqued your interest about this this field? My interest in the larger field was actually piqued here in Mm -hmm. Walsh Library. Um, I started as a student worker, as both of you know, in circulation during my sophomore year at Fordham. And slowly kind of fell in love with library work. I always say that customer service is in my blood because, you know, I come from a family in the service industry. 
But it was something about helping people in a library setting specifically where the commodity is information that made that position at the Cirque Desk one of the most rewarding jobs I'd ever done. Anyway, then I finished out my business degree since I was like a belly student. And yes, I know that's (laughs) quite a pivot. (laughs) Um, I tried the corporate world for a bit post-grad, but realized it wasn't for me. So then when COVID hit, I took it as a sign to go to grad school and get my degree in library science. And then it was there that I learned more about archival work and my interest was piqued even more. I mean, I'm definitely like a pretty nostalgic person who has always placed a lot of sentimental value in physical objects. Mm -hmm. And I find myself among kindred spirits when researchers come into the archives. Like, I love when people think that a 50-year-old napkin with a thought (laughs) scribbled in the corner is just as interesting as I do. Um, Just this morning, Magda and I, Magda's the chair of the Jewish Studies Department Mm -hmm. at Fordham, Um, we were talking about how much we love annotations in books. And Uh, a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people prefer, like, clean, new things. I don't. I never really have. Um, Most of my wardrobe is thrifted. I buy used books. So I like the story, like, real or imagined. That's inevitably wrapped up in old stuff. And Mm. I think that's what draws me to the archives. That's nice. That's a nice way to put it because it's kind of like breathes life into uh, like, I feel like when you like read about historical figures or like happenings, it's like, you know, can be very uh, uh, just like, you know, there's not a lot of life into these characters because they have this. It was so long ago, but it has a nice uh, humanness. Yes, the there's archives a very do. human element to the yes. archives when you see like little scribbles and people's actual handwriting. I mean, it's really special. Yeah. You can kind of create your own stories about what that person was thinking. Exactly. That, or like where were they at that exact moment. Yeah. And that's what a lot of archival research is. I don't know how many people want to admit that, but it is creating your own story because we don't know these things. We yeah. infer them from mm-hmm. the things we're looking at. But... I love that. I love a bit of imagination yeah. because all history is that really. For sure. Totally. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's cool. That's very beautiful. Yeah. Very I like that. I like it. That. <laughs> um, do library collections or archive materials fall under any copyright exemptions or restrictions? Definitely. So there are some materials in the archives and many in our special collections that have actual copyright statements. Mm-hmm. But unpublished materials, which make up most of our archival collections, are also protected under copyright law. Um, The copyright for an unpublished work lasts for the life of the author plus 70 years or for 120 years from the creation date. So there's a lot of material in the archives that is still under copyright. And just like everywhere else, you're responsible for determining the permissions that you need to obtain in order to use a work. Uh, so, um, so how does, uh, the library handle requests for reproductions or copies of copyrighted material from researchers or patrons? Luckily, copyright law provides archives and libraries with an authority to make copies of copyrighted materials without permission, 
under certain conditions, like when the copy is to be used for private study or scholarship or research. So we do allow researchers to make copies of documents while making it clear that they can't be used in publications. Because most of the researchers who come into the archives are just looking for those copies to be used in their research. Yeah, it seems like a pretty harmless uh, request. The people that go up there, they're just looking to... It basically prolongs their access so they can continue to interact with the materials at home or when they're working on whatever they're working on. Yeah, Yeah. it's unlikely that they're going to use a fax meal to them push on their personal Instagram page to sell sugar bear hair care. <laughs> Is that gummies? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably not going toward commercial use. That would be wild. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd, I mean, I'd like to see it. But I wouldn't because that would be but a violation of That's on them if they do that. That's yeah. not on us. <laughs> totally, totally true. Um. So, like, how can the library strike a balance between its obligation to uphold copyright and its mission to give the patrons public access to information and cultural heritage? I like this question. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's part of a larger conversation about access to the archives in general, because for researchers who actually get to the archives, Mm -hmm. copyright really doesn't restrict that much, right? Like the only restrictions copyright law introduces is for further publication of the work. But the actual information that the documents hold is fully accessible to the patron as soon as they sit down and open that acid-free folder. And that just underscores the importance to me of access to the archives. And like, now I'm going to get on my soapbox a little, but we have this reputation of being guarded and special, which we are, but... It is in your title. I also... Yeah. I know, I know. But I also want people to feel like they can still come in, you know? Like, yeah. I really try to welcome people into the reading room because it doesn't need to be this scary, impenetrable place. Like, yes, I will ask you to wash your hands first and turn the pages carefully mm-hmm. and keep things in their original order, but you can still come in because the reading room of an archives is really... A special place. Yeah. It's where you get information that you can't get anywhere else because of copyright sometimes. Yeah. So I guess my version of balance is just getting more people into the archives and engaging with the actual records themselves. Yeah. That way we don't have to worry about copyright. Mm. Right. There, these, this material is special because it's not part of the general collection, but just because it's not doesn't mean it's inaccessible. I guess is what you're saying. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And it's not accessible everywhere, but it's accessible in this specific place. Right. I think that's what's special about it. Yeah. 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 Because it's not a published book that you could go buy anywhere. Right. That makes sense. All right. What impact does copyright law have on the library's collections, digitization, and preservation efforts? Um, There's also an exception in copyright law for libraries and archives to make certain uses of copyrighted materials in order to serve the public and ensure the availability of works over time. Mm -hmm. And they explicitly mention copies for, quote, preservation, replacement, and patron access. So in terms of preservation and digitization, we certainly get some leeway with copyright infringement, which is nice. Like, we can digitize these records as long as we're not then disseminating them and publishing them. Right. Um, and that digital copy serves as a preservative copy. 
We can also make physical copies, but in the age of digitization, right. that becomes easier. Right. And I guess, I, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think like the, especially in your department, those efforts were expanded a lot and like, you know, during the pandemic and whatnot, sure. like all libraries and mm-hmm. yeah. It was a necessity. Totally. Yeah, a lot of archival requests started to be filled digitally. Um, and that's still the case now, even though people can come in and, you know, work with the physical records themselves. There are a lot of archival requests that I get that I can just scan them a copy of the document. Makes sense. Yeah. And like, how does the library handle copyright requests, like a takedown warning or infringement claims? Has there ever gotten contentious or like, ooh. It hasn't gotten very contentious during my tenure yet, knock on wood. Um, One example of a copyright holdup was during a request that actually came from a podcaster. Whoa. Whoa, I know. know. Our rival. Oh, boy. (laughs) But no, it was okay. He reached out about um, digitizing some of the cassette tapes that we hold in the archives as part of the personal papers of a sports journalist. So I let him know that if he wanted to digitize those tapes to be used in his podcast, he would need to receive permission from the creator. So he sent him an email and got permission. Apparently he knew the guy, so it was pretty painless. (laughs) But once we had that on record, we allowed him to digitize the tapes. But it's definitely not always that easy. Yeah. Digitizing tapes. Wow. Everything can be digitized, huh? Mm -hmm. How do you digitize the tape? There's a machine for it. <laughs> um, Tom G does it here. Oh. Like you put the cassette tape in a machine and you can, it transfers it either to a CD or I think there are other, you know, mechanisms that will put it right onto a USB or mm-hmm. a computer. Oh. But so I could get my um, Bewitched cassette tape. Absolutely. Which was the first cassette tape I have owned. Um was Ace of Base. <laughs> <laughs> what was yours, Gab? Um, <laughs> oh, no, Gab's only open to that. I actually, I wait, no, I have a good amount of cassette tapes, but I got them more recently, and you know why I bought them? Right. Because I drive a 2000 Toyota Camry. Oh, my God. That That's 2000. So cool. The radio doesn't work. Like, FM radio doesn't work, but the cassette tape player works. So I went and bought a bunch of cassette tapes. Oh I have, like, an Elvis tape, um, Patsy Cline. Okay. A bunch of fun stuff. That yeah. is fun. Wait, I have other stuff too. The Delphonics, like I got an wow. array, yeah, of really good cassette. Wow. Deserves to only be on the cassette tape. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah for sure. So my car is a vibe musically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. I guess uh, we we know who to we know where to go if uh, if mm-hmm. we need to digitize our all of our cassette tapes. <laughs> um, Bewitched, I think they were that Irish or Scottish. Oh, Irish. That. I yes. about the show. Oh, Irish, yeah. No, yeah the, Irish, the Irish girl group, Bewitched. See? Yes, they have some great covers, right? Um, they, to... they had the Say, say La Vie. Yes, Say La Vie. Yes, 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 yes. Say yes, you yes. will, say you won't. <laughs> I think they did a cover of Hey Mickey. I think they did. Yeah. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. I'm sure they got permission. <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> but, and before we um, get too tempted to uh, 
play a song that we don't have the copyright permission for to play. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Gab, is there anything else you'd like to share or add with us today? Just... People should come to the archives. Yeah, and they it's should. A special place. <laughs> Maybe we could um, create a theme song for the archives later. Ooh, so we can do music. And speaking of music and songs that we can play, mm-hmm. we hear that you brought our, the public domain song of the week for us today. That I did. Today we have "He Loves and She Loves," composed by George Gershwin, with lyrics written by Ira Gershwin. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Nice. We'd like to once again thank Gab for joining us here on Lab Librarians. Tune in next week and follow us on the gram at Lab Librarians Pod. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys. Bye. Thank you. Birds love and bees love and whispering trees love and that's what we both should do.